Jesus tells us to ask and it will be given to us. Do we ask with faith when asking things of both God and our husband? So I thought that the compensating series was done, but here we are with part seven. So what can I say? We give it over to the Holy Spirit, right? I was just a toddler when my grandmother started teaching me to pray the rosary. Um, I cannot say I've been as diligent with my own toddlers as she was with me, uh, but I clearly remember when she needed a nap, we would lie down on the couch and she would teach me the prayers and she would be falling asleep, but she would tell me to keep going. Unfortunately, for the longest time, I thought the Hail Mary and Holy Mary were on separate beads. So I would only pray five Hail Marys instead of the full decade. And then I would wake her up when I was done and she would wonder how on earth I'd gotten through the rosary, rosary so quickly. And she started small. For a long time, all I knew was the Hail Mary. Eventually, I learned the Fatima prayer. Um... And then I can't quite remember when I learned the glory be, but I remember that when I learned the Our Father, I would just pray the parts of it that I could remember. So I prayed an abbreviated version for a little while there. But learning the rosary was such an important part of my life. Um, my grandparents prayed the rosary every night. And for the first almost seven years of my life, we lived right across the street from my grandparents. So naturally, if we were over for dinner or if I was sleeping over, which I did often because my parents traveled a lot for work in those early years, um, we would all pray the rosary together. My grandparents, my parents, if they weren't traveling, my mom's two younger brothers, um, they were both teenagers when I was born. Sometimes we would pray out in the living room, but sometimes too, we would just pile into a bedroom. And a lot of the time I would fall asleep that way. <laughs> with everyone around me praying. In recent years, I learned about the 54-day rosary novena. Now, in this novena, you ask for all of these graces, these virtues, first, repeatedly, before you even get to actually stating your petition. Um, these are the virtues and graces for which you make your requests. Humility, charity, detachment from the world, purity, obedience to the will of God, resignation to the will of God, mortification, patience in adversity, love of enemies, faith, hope, union with Christ, and union with the Blessed Mother. Only after asking for all of these graces and virtues do you state your petition. There is so much that we can learn from this, but I want to zone in on five things. I'm sure there are many other lessons to be taken, but I'm going to focus on five that I've taken. Number one, your relationship with God matters more than the outcome. Or maybe another way of saying that is that your relationship with God is the outcome. Regardless of your petition, regardless of what it is, and if God grants it in the manner that you have specified, the practice of praying the 54-day Rosary Novena should serve to bring you closer to God 
And ultimately that matters more than whatever it is that you're asking for. Second lesson, how you ask is just as important as what you're asking for. When we're discerning a petition, we're usually focused on the what part. We ask ourselves, is this something that God would really grant? Is this something that's a good thing? Because he would never grant a prayer for something that's bad. But how you ask him is also important. Are you demanding something of God? Are you treating God like a vending machine? Are you attempting to bargain with him? Are you disposing yourself to, to properly receive his response? If he granted your petition, would you be as grateful as you ought to be? And if he doesn't respond the way that you think he should, are you going to allow that to damage your faith in him, your relationship with him? How you ask God for things that you want is just as important as what it is that you're asking for. Because even if you're asking for something good, if you're not asking in the right way, that's problematic. God, as far as I know, doesn't respond to being treated like a vending machine, for example. It doesn't matter if you're praying for someone's miraculous healing or conversion, if you're trying to bargain with him about it, like, I promise I'll never do this bad thing again if you grant my prayer. Well, you should be avoiding bad things anyway. Bargaining with God is not a good thing to attempt. It shows a serious lack of faith. So that brings us to number three. Demonstrating faith is more important than getting what you ask for. God does not have anything to prove to any of us. And if we treat him like he does, we're likely to be disappointed. Fourth lesson, much like the third, demonstrating trust is more important than getting what you asked for. When asking God for something, do you demonstrate that you trust in his ability to fulfill your request. Some people will respond, well, yeah, of course I do, or I wouldn't be praying for it. But I don't know if that's true. Sometimes we pray as a last resort because we've tried everything else and gotten nowhere. And yet prayer is where we should be taking our desires first rather than last. And also, will you continue to trust God unwaveringly regardless of his response? The fifth lesson that I've taken from praying the 54-day Rosary Novena is that happiness isn't always what you think it is. And, and you know, I knew that before, but it's something that was emphasized, that has been emphasized in my practice of praying this Novena. Happiness isn't always what you think it is. God's plans are infinitely more beautiful than our own. Now, I share these five lessons because I think that the way that we ask God for things gives us an outline, a model, a best practice for how to ask our husband for things. One of the things that we mentioned in this series is that your husband can't give you what you don't ask for and that it's cruel to make him try to read your mind. In that sense, your husband is completely unlike God. He doesn't know your heart or your mind except through what you intentionally communicate. 
And that can put him at what we might consider a disadvantage. But another way of looking at that, instead of considering it to be a disadvantage, is to see it as an incredible opportunity for intimacy. Good communication between spouses always deepens intimacy. And so this is also part of God's gift to us, that intentionality in communication can deepen our experience of love on this earth. Now, our husbands are called by God to image God to us in a very specific way. And as much as you and I as wives are called to image God to him, Our husbands are charged with imaging Christ to us in a specific way which is tied to the authority over us with which God has clothed our husbands. Let me say that again. Your husband is charged with imaging Christ to you in a specific way which is tied to the authority over you with which God has clothed him. Now, most Catholic wives upon hearing this will go, well, yeah, duh. (laughs) But, But the other part of that is that you are then to treat your husband as you would treat Christ, taking into account his authority over you. Is our husband's authority over us limited in comparison to Christ's? Absolutely. Does that mean we're allowed to discount it? Absolutely not. And that's the hard part for us, right? Providing for a family is one of the ways in which a husband exercises that authority given to him by God. It is an opportunity for him to demonstrate prudence and benevolence. Asking your husband for things which require money to obtain, does not have to be a source of contention. So let's reapply the five lessons that we previously outlined, which I've drawn from the practice of praying the 54-day Rosary Novena to the practice of asking our husband. Number one, your relationship with your husband matters more than the outcome. Or, again, another way of saying that might be a deeper relationship with your husband is the outcome. Asking your husband for what you desire, whether it be a legitimate need or an occasional extravagance, is an opportunity for your relationship to grow stronger. And that growth is more important than whether or not you actually get what you asked for. Second lesson, how you ask is just as important as what you're asking for. It doesn't matter if what you're asking for is perfectly reasonable. If your manner of asking is mean, then the entire request becomes unreasonable by virtue of your disrespect. It's not okay to demand things of your husband. It's not okay to treat him like a vending machine. It's not okay to bargain with him. And it's important to be grateful regardless of how he responds. Third lesson, demonstrating faith is more important than getting what you ask for. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. The leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It is this kind of faith that you need to demonstrate in your husband. When you ask something of him, 
It's an opportunity to demonstrate that you believe that he can do what you are asking him to do. This is part of respect, expecting the best from your husband. There's so much implied in asking your husband for what you want with faith. You're demonstrating your faith in his generosity, in his ambition on behalf of his family, your faith in his reliability, in his intelligence, in his priorities. And the fourth lesson, demonstrating trust, again, more important than getting what you asked for, demonstrating that you trust your husband's judgment, demonstrating that you trust him to exercise his headship well, that you trust him to give fair consideration to your desires. And finally, the fifth lesson, happiness is not always what you think it is. Regardless of whether or not your husband is able to give you all that you could possibly wish for materially, even if he struggles to provide legitimate basic needs, when you live the vows that you made to stick together in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, for better or worse, something beautiful is happening. And having the right attitude is essential. Now I mentioned earlier when praying the 54-day rosary novena, you ask for a long list of virtues prior to making your request. So let's go through those again. They were humility, charity, detachment from the world, purity, obedience to the will of God, resignation to the will of God, mortification, patience in adversity, love of enemies, faith, hope, union with Christ, and union with the Blessed Mother. And all of these virtues, if properly developed, prevent us from having an elevated idea of what we deserve. They dispose us to be unfazed by what we might interpret to be a negative response from God with regards to our petition. And they ensure that we will be as grateful as we ought to be should God grant our request. That we will not fool ourselves into thinking that we have somehow accomplished something for ourselves independently of him. Now we actually have the tools that we need to dispose ourselves similarly in the process of making a request of our husband. And those tools are, you might have guessed it, the tools we learned in the discipline of joy. The discipline of joy is our practice of all of these virtues for which we ask in the 54-day Rosary Novena. Through planned rest and spontaneous rest, we practice humility and mortification by acknowledging the limitations with which God has made us. And we practice charity and striving to always have a cheerful spirit with which to greet others. Through daily rejoicing, we practice detachment from the world. Because interestingly, the more grateful we are to God for something, the less attached we are to it in a worldly way. Because we recognize the gift from God and we, all, we accept that he can take it away. And also that he was under no obligation to give it to us in the first place. 
Through daily rejoicing, we also practice patience in adversity because life has trials. And taking the time to rejoice in God's blessings increases our patience with those trials. And finally, living the serenity prayer is the practice of everything else. By acting respectfully towards our husband, even when we don't feel like it, we remain pure. We are resigned and obedient to God's will in having placed us under the authority of our husband. We demonstrate faith in God's plans and designs by acknowledging his design for there to be a head of the household. We demonstrate our hope for heaven through our obedience to his command to respect our husband. We unite ourselves to Christ and to his blessed mother by striving to follow God's commands ever more perfectly. And finally, we also practice love of our enemies when we are respectful of our husbands, even whilst we are in conflict with them, which happens, right, from time to time. So if you have never prayed or never even heard of the 54-day Rosary Novena, I highly recommend making this a part of your prayer life. This is how I get my daily rosary in, by just repeating the Novena over and over again uh, with a different intention each time. And it's really done something for my priorities, especially because there's only enough time in a year to pray for three very specific intentions if you're only doing one rosary a day. So yeah, consider making this a part of your prayer life. And if you've previously struggled with asking your husband for things, whether they're things that you want or things that you legitimately need, and you've struggled to ask in a way that's respectful, then maybe your first petition in praying the novena the first time around is for God to help you in this area. But always remember your husband cannot give you what you don't ask for. So ask. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Thank you.